hello friends and welcome back to another action-packed episode of Gems, the Nintendo podcast where we talk about games both new and old. My name is Brayden and for this episode I'm trying something a little different. It's just me. Don't worry, my co-host Connor's still around and we'll have regular discussion-based episodes soon, but we've been wanting to explore some different kinds of show formats, so here I am for a solo dive into Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater, which recently got a re-release for modern consoles. You're not alone if you're not familiar with the Fatal Frame series, or Project Zero as it's known in other western countries. It's developed by Koei Tecmo, and it's a series of survival horror games, which off the bat keeps a lot of people away, but it's also very Japanese, and it's generally limited Western releases, and you know, very small audiences end up picking this game up. The first two entries came out on PS2 and Xbox back in the early 2000s, and Fatal Frame 2, subtitled Crimson Butterfly, is still considered one of the scariest games ever made. That's actually where I got my introduction to the series, as a high schooler just trying to find the scariest games I could possibly play, and, you know, I, I'd i estimate we finally secured a copy of Crimson Butterfly in 2008 or 9, but uh, we will get back to Crimson Butterfly. It is a big deal and deserves to be talked about just a little bit. But... Around that same time, in 2008 or 9, Nintendo began getting involved in the series and released the fourth title exclusively for the Wii, followed by a spin-off for the 3DS and a deluxe re-release of Crimson Butterfly, which was also for the Wii. The fourth entry in the series, which is the first game that came out on a Nintendo console, it was called Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, and it actually was never released outside of Japan. Uh, a small team of fans did translate, and they provided actually a free patch for anyone who imported the game. So, like, it, you know, there were there was an unofficial English translation. But regardless, it's difficult to find and play. The next game that was released on Nintendo consoles was for the 3DS, and it was definitely a spinoff. It was called Spirit Camera, and it's also somewhat difficult to find these days. It came with like this 16-page AR book, like alternate reality book, and it's, to my understanding, it's required to play the game. And if you know anything about game collecting, people aren't always careful with those extra inserts that come with games. They, like, managed to lose those kinds of key treasures. Um, uh, well, that said, I, I'm looking now. I see several copies online for less than $40. So, I, I don't know. Maybe now is the time to strike. Anyway, after Spirit Camera came the 2012 re-release of Crimson Butterfly, which was released everywhere but North America. And from what I can tell, we're missing out again. But we will get to Crimson Butterfly just a little bit more later. This finally leads us to the 2014 release of Fatal Frame, Maiden of Blackwater, for the Wii U. It had been six years since a mainline title had come out, and it was only available digitally in the States. There was a demo available, which I played back then, but as primarily a physical game collector, the full price, like $50 price tag for a digital download, pretty much kept me away from playing it. And I put it on my wish list, you know, hoping it would go on sale or something. Surprisingly, though, years have now passed, and 
in fall of 2021, they started talking about a re-release of Maiden of Blackwater for modern consoles, not just Nintendo. It was moving to, you know, all major consoles. But I was excited because this was a chance for me to get my hands on it. It turns out they were releasing physical editions. Unfortunately, said physical editions were only available in Japan, which is really weird because, like, it's an English version of the game. Like, I haven't, I don't have to translate anything. It's perfectly good English, but it's only available physically in Japan. So, I, I, you know, it's just interesting how those kind of dynamics work. But anyway, it's been a long time coming since I've been wanting to play this game, and I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. Let's get to the damn game, and so we shall. Now, I did have high expectations starting this game. From what I remembered from playing the demo on the Wii U, it was dark, it was creepy, and it utilized the Wii U gamepad in a way I had yet to experience. For those who still feel like they're missing something from this conversation, I'll fill in the primary gap that the entire hook of the series is using a camera. It's called the Camera Obscura, and it's used to photograph ghosts and spirits in order to exercise or pacify or, you know, kill them dead further than they are. Yeah. The Wii U's gamepad was fantastic technology for this premise, with the gyroscope tracking your movement and the screen displaying what you see through the camera's viewfinder. It felt immersive, added to the intensity of, you know, the moaning ghosts surrounding you, and complemented the gloomy, grimy setting very well. For better or worse, the demo only covers two chapters, so that was the impression and excitement I was left with, you know, after playing the demo and wanting to play the full game. When I started the Switch version, I was greeted with what I'm sure was the same intro chapter as I'd played years before, but it felt different, I guess. I was playing it in handheld mode, almost entirely, and the initial brightness setting was my first concern. I don't have an OLED Switch, and this game was actually the first time I kind of wish I did, because the colors were also dark, and because of that, I had to crank my brightness all the way up. You know, OLED is really good for that. It has, like, deeper blacks and fuller colors or whatever. So, you know, your mileage may vary depending on if you play on OLED or if on a TV. You know, anything like that. But it, I I really had to crank up the brightness, you know, both the, the in-game setting and my Switch's setting. Beyond that, it did look pretty decent. Uh, the Fatal Frame series is known for its female protagonists, and you're greeted with an adorably terrified girl right away. The character models look really nice, actually. You know, they go for realism more than style or anything. The entire aesthetic of the game is, like, incredibly Japanese, like, both the character's language to the setting, and the game begins in a traditionally horror-themed, uh, creepy manner, but it's all very Japanese-themed. You obviously move between indoor and outdoor environments, but generally the indoor areas are the ones that are better to look at. The outdoors were, like, just forested paths or swampy paths, and they all look similar and mildly copy-pasted. Water... Maiden of Blackwater, obviously plays a big, huge narrative role in this game, 
But unfortunately, like the areas of knee deep water that your characters are moving through, they don't look great. The water is pretty, I guess, like it's nice and shiny, but it doesn't really have any interaction with your character and it moves in like weird artificial ways. And then there were like the tree branches, you know, they they were poking out of the trees and your camera, like the, your third person camera would kind of pass through the branches and like twigs, you know, and kind of just obscure your vision for a second. Just seems like very, you know, kind of just preventable, I guess, is all I'm saying. Most of the game is over your character's shoulder in third person. But then like whenever you equip your camera, you do enter first person. But then, you know, that can kind of display even closer uh, graphical issues, if you will. But we do need to, like, pause here on perspectives because the series has, like, really interesting roots as to, you know, just how the camera works. Uh, both your camera obscura and, like, the perspective camera, you know. Um, but, like, a very common horror game theme for you know, a long time now is forced perspective where, you know, you'll be at one end of the hall and your the camera is at one end of the hall and your character is at the opposite end, but like you just see them getting closer and closer to your perspective. And so it's, you know, it's kind of like reminiscent of a security camera or something like that. And then, you know, you'll enter a new room and there will be a camera on some wall there that you you only see your character from. I'm not explaining this very well, but you can't move the camera is long story short. It's just stationary in one position and you move your character accordingly. You've probably played games like this, lots of early Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Luigi's Mansion actually. And so with this in mind, Crimson Butterfly was the only other game in the series that I've played. And that's actually where Fatal Frame has its roots as well, in those forced perspectives. Crimson Butterfly did the exact same thing, and I remember that being very terrifying. You know, it provided some wonderful angles that you, you really had to maneuver around in these tight-knit situations. Uh, but then, you know... A Maiden of Blackwater has released, and when I played the demo, I did realize, you know, it's it just follows your character. It's a different kind of camera. And while that's definitely the modern thing, I can't help but feel it detracts just a little bit from the claustrophobia. One thing that has stayed true is the movement speed of the player character. Your movement speed is quite literally a tiptoe, and the fastest you can move is a slow trot. Uh... You're also able to move while you have your camera equipped, so just generally you do feel much more mobile than some of the older Fatal Frame games. There are three main characters who all have ties to this haunted suicide mountain, Mount Hikami. One female protagonist is searching for her psychic mentor, who goes missing on the mountain. The other female protagonist ha has ties to the first game's main character. And so, you know, nice little callback there. And then there's a male character for, I believe, the first time, who has, like, flashback-like dreams that send him to the mountain in search of answers. The three do meet, and they kind of interact throughout the game, and are seemingly intertwined, but the game doesn't do a great job of, like, establishing compelling reasons for why they're hanging out. I don't, I never really kind of put that together. 
a whole lot of the game's story is presented through notes and like diaries and other text-based collectibles, and it's really dull kind of cutting through some of those. Many of them are just cryptic poems, or they're really obscure, and don't have much digestible information about the game. It's kind of just water, black, water, death. There are cutscenes too, usually between chapters, but the voice acting is very mediocre, and the script is like, you know, very Japanese, just very overly dramatic, and it kind of ends up feeling more like an anime than anything else, and ultimately, it the story never really takes off, or just really even feels like a story. It's kind of just like this through line about water, of purification, or death, or resurrection, and, you know, we have to go to this mountain, and the maidens, the, the maidens of Blackwater, they are these spiritual women who guard the shrines of the mountain, and they're, they make up a lot of the enemies that you'll encounter, and they are very creepy. Like, they, they, they do some creepy stuff. Like, they do this ritual where they put a girl in a box and there's lots of water in there. And, you know, it's 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 creepy. Especially just in-game as a cutscene or whatever. But honestly, I can't really tell you, like, much more about the story. Um, my motivation for playing after, you know, the first handful of hours, it was not about the story. And, I mean... There were points where, like, I just didn't even know what was going on, so I was just following the objective. You know what I mean? There, There's a waypoint. Once it was all said and done, I kind of saw a couple interesting things, I guess, that, like, you know, brought some conversations together that characters had had or whatever. But, like, it... It, that was never the reason to play. I mean, you know, I was playing for horror. I want to be scared. And um, the gameplay is definitely where that comes alive. It's where the game comes alive, to be honest. The camera obscura, as I sort of described at the start of the episode, it's the primary function of the game. It's how you take pictures of the spirits that you encounter on all these adventures. The most common enemies are like the Shrine Maidens, like I said, or just people who have committed suicide on Mount Hikami. You know, it's just the thing. It's it's the suicide mountain. You know, there's always that urban legend type thing. But anyway, the gameplay, uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. You see a ghost, you get out your camera, you snap pictures of it until it is exercised, um... Each photo deals damage, uh, and depending on the type of film that you're using, it'll deal more or less damage, but then, like, your recharge time between shots, you know, will also adjust, and so, you know, you kind of gotta balance that. And then, you know, your character's also moving really slow, like I said, she's tiptoeing around, and you can move with your camera out, which is interesting and helps during combat, but, uh, it, you know... All, all things said and done, it, the combat can get pretty tense. You can upgrade your camera quite a bit. Uh, based on the quality of the photos that you take, you get points, and so you can like upgrade your damage output, or you can target more enemies, or your special shots charge up faster. You know, things like that. There is this thing called the fatal frame capture, where if you take a photo of a ghost like right at the perfect time when they're attacking you, you, you get to like rapid fire snap pictures of them. 
it's supposed to deal like super heavy damage, but it's never it to share the name of the game. It's not very powerful. So I don't know. It just, just, I was disappointed in that for what it's worth. But I don't know. The combat is fun. It's just a little straightforward. The camera upgrades don't add too much to the gameplay other than like damage for the most part. And the enemies, they are pretty repetitive as well. You see the same few types of spirits, I guess, throughout the game a handful of times. But the photography really is, it. it is fun. It's the highlight. It kind of comes down to the novelty of that, the way it kind of fuses like Pokemon Snap with uh, damage sponge type first person shooting. I will say, having played Crimson Butterfly quite a while ago, I, I thought the ghosts were more, like more unique, or maybe I was just mistaken. I don't recall, but... In Maiden of Blackwater, I think there are like six or seven varieties of enemies, and they get stale pretty quickly. Most of them are just trying to grab you in zombie attack type fashion. There's like two varieties of enemies that have ranged attack. So, uh, and then there were not really bosses. There were kind of boss fights at the end of a chapter. Like they would send a whole bunch of enemies at you, like all at once or something like that. There was this one, like, type of attack that you, if a ghost was using it on you, you knew you were in trouble. Like, it was a, it was a tough ghost. Um, and it was some kind of curse. I believe it was called the Taint of the Blackwater. And you, if you took enough of this type of damage, it would just drain your health entirely. Kind of connected to that, there is also a wetness meter for your character. And, like, rain or walking through water will affect that and when the meter is full you take more damage from the ghosts but you almost always have items just plenty of items ready to go to heal any wetness or uh taint of the black water that you might uh be up against it's interesting i do feel like the items are underused in the game or something like that maybe on a higher difficult i would have more respect for them or something, but it's just interesting to see kind of a a left thread that could have been more. Moving away from the combat just a little bit, the exploration aspect leaves quite a bit to desire as well. Um, Bizarrely, I think I'm pretty sure the entire game takes place across three or four kind of large areas, but you replay those same areas across all 14 chapters. You begin to learn the same paths to take, and it's just really weird that you have to revisit this same dollhouse four times, and, you know, it just it doesn't feel like they had enough content for the game or something. And the worst part is, they have you traversing, like, the entirety of these maps. And so, uh, I kid you not, you learn the paths, and they're very, they're pretty linear. You just have to fight the same ghosts in the same spot and go through the same trap door a couple times. And then, and at its very worst, you go all the way through the haunted mansion and through the woods in the back and you get to your objective. And it'd be nice if we would just end the chapter, right? No, you have to like backtrack all the way back out. And your character is moving at like one mile per hour. It's, it's scary, you know, ooh, but it's just not very good or fun. There was this kind of cool level where it's taking place in one of the characters' antique shop. Like, they just have an antique shop and they have bedrooms in the back that they live in. And 
two of the characters are asleep and one of them is watching the security cameras and has to like run all around the uh, the shop and just take pictures of the ghosts before they get to the sleeping people. And it's really interesting. You know, it's finally something different. Like it's not the same swampy walk through the puddles and take pictures of the same couple ghosts, but it goes on for like way too long. And that's not the only thing. I don't know. I, I could be hypersensitive on this one, but uh, so the the one character that's awake is the male and all the females are either kidnapped on the mountain or asleep. And so you're you're rescuing them. You are very manly. Um, I don't know. That's, you know, it's, that's nothing, but there are some like weird sexist like things. Um, the, the wetness meter, um, when you are fully damp, I guess your character's costume changes to like a wet version and the guy, you can't really like tell anything like it's fine, but the girls of course are wearing like sheer. And so like it clings to their skin and like, you know, it's very uh, sexy um, and stuff. I don't know. I don't know why that's the case, but to really solidify the extent of the issue, the West did originally receive a censored version of the game on the Wii U. There are unlockable costumes for all three characters, and the girls naturally have several swimsuit variants, and back on the Wii U, they actually they actually replaced those with Princess Zelda and Zero Suit Samus costumes, which all look pretty cool. Unfortunately, they are not on the Switch version for some reason. Like, it's pretty unfortunate. I get it. You want to see your waifu in the blue bikini, but I would rather see her in the Samus suit. Would be pretty cool. I don't know. It's, uh, anyway, the sexism issue, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing of its own, but it's definitely not like the gameplay necessarily justifies the boob jiggle. The gameplay never really manages to elevate itself past anything like you'll experience in the first couple chapters. Going back to my initial motivations for playing the game, you know, I wanted to be scared. And unfortunately, I can pretty safely say that my expectations were not met. I don't, like, regret playing it, but I definitely can't recommend this to anyone in particular. But I'm sure there are people that, like, played it and enjoyed it way more than me. Maybe I missed something. But there was, like one thing that I really loved and it was a new addition to this re-release and it was essentially a photo mode where you could like position characters and ghosts in different settings and stuff like you had to move your character to the setting but then you could pause and move them and add characters in and really set up dramatic pictures it was it's pretty cool I'll probably put some on Instagram if you want to check it out but uh I had a lot of fun with that and best of all, you know, it obviously has no impact on the story or the gameplay. It's just a, a pause kind of little extra mode they threw in. Even there, though, like, just sorry, going back to it, like there was boob jiggle, like on these static characters who where nothing moved when you just like move them side to side or whatever. But their boobs would jiggle. It's just why? Why you gotta be so weird? But um, anyway, just it was a little distracting, almost more than appealing. I whatever. I do think we're drawing close to the end here, and I'm struggling to find a nice bow to put on top. Overall, I'd have to say it just felt more outdated than anything. The camera combat is great in concept and decent in execution, but everything surrounding it needs like a healthy modern makeover. 
the story delivery was bad, um, all through the notes and diaries, the exploration is bad, it's just back and forth. I think it's just fair to say I'm ultimately disappointed. Hopefully, though, I'm not done with the series. It feels like it's at a crossroads and can follow one of two paths. There's the Resident Evil route, where as the series went on, I think we all agree it lost its way just a little bit, but has regained some footing in recent years with like Biohazard and Village, which I believe got pretty decent reception. And both of those actually adopted the first person perspective, which is quite interesting. The first time they did that with Resident Evil. Then the other route that the series could take, though, is the Silent Hill route, which is still struggling to find foothold in, like, today's gaming landscape. There was this, like, weird Silent Hill teaser playable trailer back in 2014, which you probably remember, but that was the same year that Maiden of Blackwater released, and so, you know, maybe Fatal Frame will disappear into uh, nothingness. We're obviously just in a wait-and-see period, and I don't necessarily think that this re-release is a sign that a new game is in the works, actually. It is a good sign that the franchise is still alive, but, um, you know, I definitely hope any new game would, like, apply a very nice fresh coat of paint to the original formula. The final question on my mind regarding a sequel or the next entry in the series is just what system it'll be on. Nintendo definitely seems to be enjoying being exclusive with it with the Fatal Frame series, so far as including Yuri, like the main character, one of the female protagonists, as an assist trophy in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And in my opinion, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. However, the fact that Maiden of Blackwater was ported to so many modern consoles does inspire hope that the series will reach new audiences, make more sales, and, you know, maybe bring in a revitalization of the series. Who knows? But, whew, alright, that's it guys, that's all I got. Thank you for listening to my rant on Fatal Frame, Maiden of Blackwater. I really hope that you felt it was time well spent. Um, if you do, it would mean a lot if you'd rate and subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to. And then if you don't like what you listen to, you could also hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or our email and let me know why I suck. We'll be back soon with a regular episode. Connor will be back. You know, I won't be just jabber, jabber, jabber. But until then, my name is Brayden and this has been Nintendo Gems. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>